welcome to the Fervent Life Podcast. This is actually the last episode in our first season of the Fervent Life Podcast, and today we're talking about finding our way back to the fervent life. Now picture this, you were on fire for God. His presence was so real. You walked in truth, you experienced his joy, you had clarity, you felt strong, and then you didn't. Fear, apathy, emptiness, lostness, silence louder than you feel your soul can take. Your fire has dwindled to embers. You feel confused, exhausted, and alone. You know what the fervent life is. You used to walk in it. It was the most beautiful season of your life, but you can barely remember what it felt like now. It seems so far away, and you have no idea how it slipped from your grasp. I absolutely get it, because I've been there many times. One of the most frustrating things about being human is the reality that we're imperfect. We're weak. We forget. We get off track. We misunderstand. We get overwhelmed. And we get lost. There's a church in the Bible that knew what it felt like to lose their grip on the fervent life they had in Christ. They knew what it was to get lost. In Revelations 2, 2-4, the Lord says to the Ephesians, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who do evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They were doing good things. They were working hard. They were patient. They loved justice. They discerned truth. They endured. But they lost sight of their first love. That list of things that the Ephesians church was doing scares me. Because it makes me realize it would be so easy for me to get lost and I might not even realize it at first. We can be doing all the right things all the while our love for God can be shriveling up and dying. We can help people. We can give money. We can exhaust ourselves for the sake of others. We can have a passion for justice. We can discern truths about doctrine and theology and the people who are speaking it. We can endure the most bitter of circumstances. We can do all of these things and still lose sight of our first love. So what are some things that can cause us to lose sight of our first love? Well, four things come to mind. Number one is idols. Another term I've heard for this is disordered loves. An idol is essentially anything we have come to love and care about more than God. The tricky part is a thing doesn't have to be bad in order for it to become an idol. We can take good and beautiful things, gifts given by God himself, and allow them to usurp God's place in our hearts. And it can be really subtle. Which is why 1 John 5.21 urges us to be aware when it says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. How can we identify an idol in our lives? That's a great question. And I'm sure there are many answers. But there's four questions in particular that I ask myself that help me discern the idols in my life. The first one is, what's consuming my time? 
whether it's people-pleasing, i.e. saying yes to every commitment out of fear or compulsion, or a hobby I became obsessed with, or a goal I esteem higher than every other area of my life. If my marriage, my godly friendships, and my relationship with God is suffering, then it's possible that I'm clinging to an idol. The second question is, what's consuming my thoughts? Much like my time, is my mental energy being sucked away by those hobbies or goals or people's opinions of me? Am I so enamored with someone or something that I find it hard to concentrate on the relationships God's called me to or the time I spend with Him? The third question is, am I afraid to get counsel from others in this area? Are there areas of my life that I kind of gloss over or try to hide when I'm with other people? If I'm unwilling to seek counsel from other trusted believers about it, then there's a good chance it's either something sinful that's become a vice or something I love so much I'm unwilling to remove or alter its presence in my life. The last question is what emotions does the thought of losing this stir up in me? Think about that thing that's consumed so much of your time and thoughts. Now think about how you would feel if you lost it. More importantly, how you would feel towards God if you lost it. Would you be angry? Would you be bitter? Would you doubt his character and his goodness? Once upon a time, I had an idol in my life. A person. A guy. I was in my early 20s, and when the thought came that my future with him might not happen, I quickly dismissed it. I literally said, God would not do that to me. It was an idol that had sunk its hook so deep in my heart, I could not even bear the thought of it being taken away. And guess what? God did take it away. And it was the absolute best thing He, as my loving Heavenly Father, could have done for me. The second thing that can cause us to lose sight of our first love is bitterness. Hebrews 12, 14-15 says, Work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Bitterness has many casualties. It can stir up trouble in an entire community, and it can keep us from living a fervent life for Christ. Unresolved hurts lead to bitterness. And it can sting like nothing else. Sometimes the emotions are so strong they steal my breath away. Bitterness is a subtle disease and it can kill your fervent, love-fueled passion for God. Number three is perfectionism. I struggle with this one a lot. Years ago, I used to be a long-distance runner. I ran half marathons. Eventually, I joined a running group. And when I first joined, my fellow athletes called me a Zen runner, meaning I didn't have any tech tracking my progress. I didn't have a Garmin. And if you guys don't know what that is, think an early prototype of the Apple Watch. It had GPS, had all kinds of stats from heartbeat to pace to calories burned. I didn't keep track of my miles. I just ran for the sheer joy of running with God. It was my special time with him. I'd worship. I'd talk to him about everything that was going on. And my favorite part I'd experience his joy. I'd experience his peace. I'd experience his presence while I ran. It didn't take long for me, unfortunately, to get caught up in the hype. 
I bought the Garmin. I tracked my stats. And gradually, my love for running died. Oh, I was still passionate about it. But my passion was more like an obsession than a joy-filled love. I wasn't running for God anymore. I was running for myself. I was running to prove myself. There's probably lots of runners out there who could handle the pressure of the stats and not get caught up in it, but I couldn't. I had a sensitive wound lingering beneath the surface. I had a stronghold of perfectionism that was waiting to take control, and I lost the love. Running for perfection instead of love corrupted my practice habits and left me with a stretch fracture, a torn ligament, and half the amount of cartilage in my knees. Eventually, it took me out of long-distance running altogether. Perfectionism kills love, and it can kill our fervent life for Christ. The fourth thing that can cause us to lose sight of our first love is weariness. Now, we all know that sleep deprivation can severely affect our physical health. Likewise, fatigue severely affects our spiritual life. I was doing really well living the fervent life a while back, but then I got weary. And with weariness comes a boatload of emotions and the inability to see straight. Like exhaustion weakens our immune system, it can also weaken our spiritual defenses. Before we know it, we've been carried off by the waves of our circumstances. So how do we find our way back to the fervent life? How do we find our way back to our first love? Verse 5 of Revelations chapter 2, the follow-up to that earlier passage, says, Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Our first instruction from this verse is to look at how far we've drifted. And the good news is there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1. So we can take an honest look at where we've gone wrong without wallowing in shame and guilt. We're free to get back up. We're free to learn. We're free to ask ourselves without the weight of condemnation. Have we been consumed lately by other things instead of God? Do we feel bitter and angry a lot? Are we trying to do things by our own strength? Are we trying to prove ourselves? Are we weary? Has exhaustion and fatigue caused us to become carried away by our circumstances? The next step is to turn back to God. We've acknowledged our shortcomings and we've placed our gaze back on Christ. Now what? Do the works you did at first. But what kind of works? We saw earlier that that church was doing a lot of good things, but what was missing? Their love for God. So one can assume that when verse 5 tells us to do the works we did at first, it means to do them out of love like we did before. It could also mean to do the things we used to do to cultivate that love for God. I used to tell myself the truth a lot more and listen to lies a lot less. I used to let my faith dictate my feelings instead of letting my feelings dictate my faith. I used to recognize God's love in a way that helped me love others more. I used to rest in the gospel of God's grace instead of trying to prove my own worth. I used to accept God's invitation of rest and spent long hours in the beauty of his presence instead of running around in an endless cycle of striving and exhaustion. Ultimately, there is one thing and one thing alone that fuels our fervent life. 
and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My eyes used to kind of gloss over every time someone mentioned the gospel because I had heard it so many times, but then God opened my eyes in a way that made me see it like I never had before. He showed me how the gospel affects every single area of my life. It is the key to victory in every area of my life. Each day comes with a beautiful purpose, to grow closer to God, to learn more and more about his love for me through the gospel, and to let it transform me. The gospel is the key to everything. The gospel helps us give up our idols. Isaiah 30, 18 through 22 says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is faithful. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, saying to them, Good riddance. Once our hearts are opened again to the magnitude of God's love and compassion for us, through the grace given to us at the cross, which was the redeeming work of the Messiah, even the believers in the Old Testament were placing their trust in ultimately. The idols in our hands, when we grasp that, suddenly pale in comparison to the point that we're willing to give them up because the momentary satisfaction we get for them is nothing compared to the satisfaction and fulfillment we receive in the love of Christ. The gospel is the antidote to bitterness. Genesis 50:20 says, "You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people." Joseph was able to say this to his brothers, the ones who had hurt him so deeply and sold him into slavery, because although God allowed them to sin against him, God only allowed it because he had a far greater plan in mind, one that would both glorify him and bring Joseph to a place of great abundance in the end. I love Genesis 41, 50 through 20, 52, which says, During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. I absolutely love the story of Joseph because it illustrates the cycle of healing. First, we know that God was with Joseph, sustaining him even when he was abused by his brothers and wrongfully imprisoned. We see how God brought him out of prison at the perfect time to become a trusted advisor to Pharaoh and second in command over all of Egypt. We see how God wiped away Joseph's tears and brought him to a place of great abundance and blessing. The blessings God gave Joseph were so great that it caused him to forget all the sorrows of the past. Then we see emotions surface again when his brothers come back into the picture. To the point that Joseph has to turn away and leave the room, he sobs, he wrestles, and then, later on in the story, because of the healing power of God's steadfast love and provision, we see Joseph reach the point where he can forgive and offer reconciliation to his brothers after they express the remorse and ask for his forgiveness. At the end of the day, Joseph's view of God and all he had done for him caused what Joseph's brothers had done to him to become insignificant. None of that, not that it no longer mattered, but that it no longer held power over him. 
Because of Christ, we are promised victory over anything this life throws at us. We are no longer victims of our circumstances. Because of Christ, we can rise above. Also because of Christ, we are not alone in our suffering. On the contrary, we have a Savior who understands our weaknesses, our struggles, and our pain. We are not alone in our grief. Christ himself chose to become a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, so that we would not feel alone in ours. Because of the fellowship we have with Jesus Christ, we can find comfort and healing and restoration and victory. God's steadfast love through the gospel can heal a broken, hurting soul. It can restore. It can remove bitterness from our lives and bring us forgiveness and joy. God diffuses, through the gospel, our perfectionism. We are not enough, and God loved us anyway. When we were at our worst, he offered us salvation through the sacrifice of his son. And when we mess up, his mercies continue to be new every morning. The gospel of God's grace is the only thing that has the power to diffuse our perfectionism. The more I focus on God's incredible, relentless love for me, the less control my perfectionism has over me. The more I saturate myself in his loving presence, the less I strive. The gospel also restores our weary souls. Isaiah thirty fifteen says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, Only in returning to me, in resting in me, will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. Psalm 23, 2-3 also says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In Isaiah 30, we see the necessity of resting in God. In Psalm 23, we see God prepare a place of rest for the psalmist, and the psalmist surrenders to it. Consequently, by accepting God's invitation of rest, his soul is restored. Just like our physical body cannot function properly without sleep, our spiritual life cannot function properly without resting in God. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Why is Jesus' yoke for us? light and easy to bear because he already accomplished everything for us on the cross and all we're left with is the charge to depend on him and rest in his finished work for us on the cross because of jesus we have a relationship with god where we can accept the places of rest he prepares for us because of jesus our hearts can be refreshed and restored continually as we walk with him when we boil it all down The way back to the fervent life is actually really simple. To renew our minds with a fresh grasp of the gospel and to delve deeper into the love of God through Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. 
Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Strength, completeness, fullness of life, power to overcome, unfathomable love. Sounds like a pretty fervent life, doesn't it? And how do we experience it? By relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, by letting Christ make his home in our hearts, and by rooting ourselves in the foundation of God's incomprehensible love for us, revealed through the gospel, the pinnacle revelation of God's love for all mankind and the source of hope for all who are willing to receive it. Well, that's all I've got for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, this is the final episode of Season 1 of the Fervent Life Podcast. We're going to be taking these next few weeks to pray and see what series God would like us to do in the future. We'll still have new devotionals every week on our website, so you can keep an eye out for those. If you feel that, we appreciate your prayers for wisdom and direction on what God would like us to do next in Season 2 of the Fervent Life Podcast. And as always, if you'd like to contact us, maybe even give us some suggestions, you can always do so on our website at www.theferventlife.org under the Connect tab. Thank you guys so much again, and I hope you have an awesome week. 